Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. It's good to be with you, Father Shane. It's good to be with you, listeners. Yeah, it's good to be with you. It's It's been several weeks since we recorded, but it's uh, good to be back together. Yeah, we did uh, We did hit a few, few at one time there. Yeah, yeah it like, was good when I was back in Sioux City. We could record together in person. We're mm-hmm. back at the start of a school year, and I'm here in St. Louis at Kenrick. Um, but things are going well. Father, we just hosted... Um, we just got done with uh, the first few days of classes, and before then, after orientation, we had an academic conference here. I don't know if you heard about it. I did not. Um, it's the 30th anniversary of John Paul II's 1993 encyclical, Veritatis Splendor. Right. And for our listeners, um, this was a really monumental document in his papacy that spoke about fundamental moral theology. Um, what is the good that can be pursued uh, what does a virtuous life really look like, and, and where do we find objective truth that gives us a grounding in our discipleship with Jesus? Um, so we were really blessed with with a number of speakers. We had five scholars come in, including Bishop Earl Fernandez of um, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, yes. I, I experienced him at Seek. He's wonderful. Yeah. No, he's a great man. Um, yeah, these scholars came in. They're, they're renowned moral theologians from various universities or seminaries here in the United States. Um, and they just gave wonderful presentations. And what I was so pleased with uh, is they really they gave the talks ordered towards the seminarians, um, really speaking at their level. Sometimes you go to these conferences and it's just way over everybody's heads and scholars are just talking to scholars. Um, but it was an awesome way to start the year, marking the anniversary of this really great magisterial document. And I think it's got the guys really fired up. There's a, There's a wonderful spirit here. It's just so nice to be part of a, of a seminary community, community in which you don't feel a lot of cynicism. Mm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of negativity that seeped in for, at the start of the school year. And guys really seem on fire coming off of World Youth Day and also their summer assignments. So praise God, we're, uh, we're off to a good start here in St. Louis. That's exciting. You know, um, I unexpectedly saw one of our uh, diocesan seminarians give him a shout-out, Jimmy Fitzsimmons, uh, at the football game the other night. Um, he's got mm. a family baptism going to you know i asked him i'm like wow how'd you how'd you get out how'd you get out of the seminary to come to this and he goes you know it helps it helps having a guy in the you know in the vice rector's office you know you had a connection with so sure that was good yeah well yeah i mean we hadn't started parish assignments last week um that's how it works it's good when you can get to a family baptism or, or sacrament like that it is we did have uh you know at that football game first football game of the year between two catholic schools kemper and carroll and healing mm. We had a bunch of priests there, a lot of fun. Helen pulled through at the end, so Father Peter Fom and I, we're going to have to, you know, battle or something, or you know. Did you shake hands before the game? We the did. DR he line? called me. He called me his enemy, of course, at the beginning, uh-huh. and then uh, he gave me a you know congratulatory handshake. So it was good. All left in good fun. Well, that was very magnanimous of Father Fom as the new chaplain. It of, was uh, <laughs> Carol Kemper. Good for him. Yeah, very much so. Absolutely good. Yeah, at the beginning of the new school year, you know, we're doing some of the similar like preparations in a high school with professional development. And we had the opportunity with some changing in campus ministry. And I think a lot of people who work in the church, especially in parishes or in schools, see that need, see that change 
in kind of lay-led ministry, right? There's this recognition of perhaps fewer priests or perhaps the need for more robust youth ministry. People go to a Steubenville conference, they come back to their parish and realize we don't have, we don't have something to build up this culture of, of youth ministry, um, young, you know, ministry to young people in a changing world. So I was grateful, Father Shane, when I took over at Helan um, from you, that you'd kind of work to a point of having a, a lay campus minister, and now we were able to hire another campus minister. So we're kind of developing this campus ministry in the school. But what we've noticed over time in schools and in parishes, there's been a shift in Catholic culture, but a lot of our institutions that were established in a different Catholic culture are still kind of functioning in some ways the same um, with regards to the faith. Like lots of things have changed and upgraded when it comes to technology, facilities, um, teaching best practices. But it seems in a lot of ways the kind of idea of how the faith is communicated hasn't necessarily kind of changed with the time. And it, and it sounds like it shouldn't change, right? We have the Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why should we be changing our, our faith? Um, so campus ministry, we gave a little presentation to the faculty on something that we have mentioned before in a book, Father Shane, that you um, introduced me to, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, that was published by the University of Mary back in 2020. We read it as seminarians. You led us through kind of a book study on it during the pandemic, which was helpful um, to kind of do the same thing that you said this academic conference did of stir up some of that zeal in the guys when we were in such a confusing time and when you were planning this podcast, you know, at the same time. Um, but as I was preparing for this presentation, this, this quote from Gaudium et Spes, um, the Constitution from the Second Vatican Council on the Church in the Modern World, came to mind. So this, this, um, it's from the fourth paragraph, if you want to look it up at home. This is the document says the church fathers say, the, the council fathers rather, the church has always had the duty of scrutinizing the signs of the times and of interpreting them in the light of the gospel. Thus, in language intelligible to each generation, she can respond to the perennial questions which men ask about this present life and the life to come and about the relationship of the one to the other. We must therefore recognize and understand the world in which we live, its explanations, its longings, and its often dramatic characteristics. But that first line, Father Shane, scrutinizing the signs of the times and of interpreting them in the light of the gospel. That seems to be so important. And it seems to be what we're trying to do often here on our podcast, right? As we're trying to lean into this main topic of those who feel outcast within the church, outside of the church, those who feel outcast in the world. Um, I just heard kind of a statistic that, you know, people are probably more lonely than they ever have been uh, today. And that would be a way of scrutinizing the signs of the times. Okay, how have people changed? And how has, you know, our response, the, same, the gospel's the same, the light of the gospel's the same, but it shines differently on these different experiences in the world. So this text from Christendom to apostolic mission, and we can you know kind of break it down and hash it out, just breaks down different eras in the church. Um, that there was this experience of the apostles who were facing a primarily pagan world, coming out of this Jewish culture and facing a pagan world and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And how over time that apostolic mission, as it spread, it developed into an experience, a season of Christendom, where the culture itself had the gospel as its kind of foundational you know, starting point, that the, that the culture itself was imbued with the gospel in such a way that it wasn't like the apostles looking at a pagan culture 
Uh, everybody was expected to be baptized, expected to be Christian. But now, as the author explains, we find ourselves in this kind of new, ex- new experience, new era, where we're not in an apostolic age where everybody's pagan. We're in a, an odd post-Christian age when ev- everybody kind of assumes what they know the gospel to be. They assume what they know the church to be. And it seems that so much of what we talk about, Father Shane, touches on these um, ideas, on you know, these topics, and that's why I've been excited to um, talk about this in particular, right? Kind of do a little bit more of a, as much of a deep dive as we can do in a few minutes, you know, about this topic. But from Christendom to Apostolic Mission, paying attention to the signs of the times, we need to maybe change and shift the way that we're interpreting, you know, the experiences around us in light of the gospel. Yeah, I think it's a helpful topic. I mean, um, if anyone is interested in this book, it's a, it's a short little paperback I know Bishop Nicholas, a couple of years ago, he sent it out to all of our priests in the diocese. It's very easy to, to find online if anyone wants a copy, and it's well worth the read. Um, and just to clarify some of the terms that you used, I mean, you, you mentioned apostolic age, and that these uh, initial apostles coming out of a Jewish context were then uh, trying to tell people about Jesus Christ risen from the grave as the Savior of the world in a, in a Roman Empire pagan context. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fruitfulness of that eventually led to this entire structure in which we call Christendom, in which um, most of the known Western world at that time um, had a practice of Christianity. It was imbued in the culture, uh, everything from the celebration of holidays and feast days, um, the way church law inherited from you know, standards, certain standards of Roman law then started to impact civil law. Um, you know, the way towns were or even organized with a cathedral, you know, in the center, mm-hmm. with a public square around that, really highlighting just visibly in, in just the very structure of European cities that God is at the focal point of this. Right. Um, I was just going to offer a quick quote that kind of synthesized that, um, that the author draws together. Um, he talks in the, in the text a lot about what a Christian vision um, he talks about a, the Christian narrative. And it was interesting when, when Lexi and I were preparing the, uh, preparing the, um, presentation she said it sounds to a, a you know contemporary ear especially kind of a secular person that when we say the christian narrative it sounds like a made-up story right well that's just the christian story right but especially when he says christian vision here so he says when the christian vision of the human drama and its corresponding moral order have become prominent in a given society and have come to provide at least largely the society's ruling vision what emerges can be called the christendom culture right so that was helpful just to hear hear the author say this this ruling vision um, mm-hmm. that's cast for the whole of the culture of the society. Right. And my suspicion is that the way you presented this to your faculty with Lexi, your campus minister, and the way you wanted to bring this topic to our listeners on this podcast is to say the vision has changed, right? Exactly. The, the vision of just relying on social structures and institutions to automatically carry forth the burden of, of, a, of a cultural standard that is Christian, um, that's just no longer possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so many institutions have experienced um, um, maybe a sclerosis, so to speak, of, mm-hmm. of just not, of feeling a little bit paralyzed of how do we respond, how do we make an impact, who even notices us. I mean, I'm sitting here as we're recording this in an institution itself. I'm in this huge seminary building that's well over a century old. Uh, and, you know, it's serving our purposes, but we have to keep asking the question, 
is the way we're even training men in this very building going to match the apostolic age? Well, I'm, I'm glad you just brought that up with the, the seminary because that was just coming to my mind that I have seen a shift that's happened, even in my time of seminary, that there really was the shift. I mean, even this uh, academic conference that you just had, you know, in light of this anniversary of Veritatis Splendor, but to really ask, what is the truth um, of, of the gospel that's being proclaimed to the world, right? So it seems like there is this attentiveness that this kind of older style of institution, it needs to adjust to the men who are coming in. This is this whole propedeutic stage of formation that you guys are experiencing right now that we've talked about, that it's always adjusting. It's not kind of throwing out the tradition. It's not throwing out what we've received. And it's not saying that there was nothing good from the past too, right? Um, later on in the text, it talks about we can't just have kind of a doomsday prediction about the future, right? That the world is just going to hell in a handbasket, but we also can't just have a nostalgic idea of the past, right? I mean, at Kenrick, for example, the idea that there used to be two massive seminary buildings, and now, you know, since the 80s, one of them is the chancery, right? And then it was consolidated in one. That could You could look at that and see how different the times are today, very physically speaking, that we used to have these two buildings filled with men, a thousand seminarians in St. Louis or what it was with the high school seminary at the time. Um, or it can say, okay, how are we pivoting? How are we shifting? So I, I think that's happening in the seminary, if, if, if you see that as well. No, it is. Um, I think it's, sh- it's shifting a lot. We're certainly trying to respond to the types of men that are coming in, many of whom don't know some of the very basics of the catechism. Many <laughs> I did of not. Many have a very weak foundation in Scripture, many of whom have never read Catholic literature. Um, they're not really imbued with a deep sense of, of Catholic piety, devotions, art, and architecture, mm-hmm. uh, understanding the symbols of the sacred. Um, so this is why we're starting, you know, as the church has called forth a propedeutic experience to help just create a kind of a, a we're not trying to refabricate Christendom in this propedeutic experience, mm-hmm. but we are trying to just form them in that Catholic vision that you spoke of earlier. Um, you know, and so we've, we've spoken about this document in the past. We, we, at least we've just made brief references to it. Right. Um, but it really is going to be a guiding document, I think, for so many people. Um, to understand, how do I even see the world around me when I can feel so outcast that the institutions I belong to um, just don't seem to have the cultural sway and the cultural power uh, that they once enjoyed? And that's not to say that institutions don't have a role. Um, There has to be a way that we can offer catechesis. There has to be a way where we come together and worship God with right and fitting worship. There has to be a way that people find socialization. Uh, There has to be a way where Christians are journeying and accompanying one another in authentic relationship. Uh, There has to be a way where people can find the living Lord in in, in true encounters. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily have to be bound to the institutional models of the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those those true elements of our faith are going to constantly be refreshed uh, as the church responds to the needs of the times. Yeah, and Father Shane, thank you for that. What I'm curious about is, you know, parishes need to consider this. Seminaries, like you just said, need to consider this, right? High schools, college Newman centers, like these places, according to their specific needs and how they proclaim the gospel, need to consider these changing dynamics of the culture, this shift from a Christendom to a post-Christian era that needs to look a lot more like an apostolic mission, right? But I think we can't hash through all of those and neither of us are in a 
parish, I'm in a high school, you're in a, a seminary. But it seems like what's really important is how can the individual Christian in the context they find themselves in respond to this changing time? Um, I was just going to offer one more quote because it's been helpful. Um, but it's like where we find ourselves. Um, and the author says, we're not attempting to make converts from pagans. We're attempting to bring back to the church those knowingly or unknowingly in the grasp of apostasy. That sounds so intense. But then he follows it up right after that with a quote from C.S. Lewis, who said, it's not like winning over like a young maiden. It's trying to win back like a bitter divorcee (laughs) into a relationship, right? And I said that in front of all the teachers of our high school. I said, I don't, my, my experience with the priesthood isn't like a, you know, a bitter experience of looking at the world. It's a hopeful experience, but that's actually how we kind of face the culture of most of my peers, most of our peers having an idea of what the church is, of what the church teaches and saying, no, that doesn't really work for me today. I don't really want that. Right. But how can the individual like Christian Catholic outcast Catholic, if you will, I'm curious what you think, how can we allow this to affect our own personal lives to say, okay, the world is not in Christendom anymore, but how can I live like a more apostolic Christianity, you know? Yeah, so I think the C.S. Lewis help, a quote is helpful because I think we do encounter the trying to win over the, the divorcee who was part of the Catholic family, so to speak, and then walked away. Uh, I mean, we just know that there's a huge segment of our population here in the United States that are fallen away Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most apostolic thing you could do is, is in, the, in appropriate settings, in appropriate times, and um, without any sort of... Um, any sort of anxiety or any antagonism, just invite someone to tell their story. Hmm. Um, why is it that you you know left the church? Why is it that maybe you slipped away? Uh, was it something that scandalized you? Was there someone who hurt you? Um, I mean, that, that that could be that could be social, you know, just you know feeling not connected. Someone might have been spiritually, emotionally, sexually abusive. Um, not quite sure. Um, but but the point is, you know, to be able to allow someone to just tell their story and to say, I've been heard, and mm-hmm. there are actually people who are interested in me. If we're not even interested in listening to the to the fallen away Catholic tell their story, to at least know their perspective, well, of course they're going to think that the church isn't interested in them. Um, you know, if no one even wants to take the time of day to listen to hear me out, why would they be interested in my future and the rest of the aspects of my life? But at the same time, you know, I do think that there are uh, others in another segment of the population who are the, the young maiden, so to speak, in the C.S. Quote, C.S. Lewis quote, mm-hmm. who really don't know any religion. They haven't been raised in, anyth- in anything. And I think this is much more true among young people. Uh, older generations probably had some sort of a, of a Christian vision, a Christian narrative imbued in their culture, uh, in their formation being raised. Uh, but for young people, you do meet some some folks who really know nothing. I was just speaking to a number of our men here at the seminary who came back from World Youth Day a few weeks ago in Lisbon, Portugal. And they went to World Youth Day expecting to see a lot of, you know, young Catholics on fire with their faith. Mm -hmm. And they were surprised to learn that they actually found many Europeans who really didn't practice the faith. And they might have just been invited to go to World Youth Day by their local parish. Uh, There might have just been some sort of a movement, an ecclesial movement in their diocese who said, Anyone want to come hang out in Portugal, come along. Mm. And some of these European groups used World Youth Day kind of as a pre-evangelization moment, mm. not to, to overwhelm people 
uh, with a, a, a deep you know, understanding of the catechism, but to say, we're going to at least introduce you to other Catholics who are practicing their faith and who are young. Mm. And, and maybe that can actually light a spark just from their witness and give you some new considerations for the direction of your life and the meaning that you want to find in it. Um, so I, I do think that there are two ways to do that, uh, speaking to those who don't know anything about Christianity and those who have fallen away. But either way, just taking the time to say, you know, tell me what's of value to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, did a, we did an episode well over a year ago on um, meaning and direction. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is the purpose? What is the direction of your life? And if we can consistently draw that out of people, I think it allows them to know that they are being heard, that they are valued. Uh, and then when we know what's actually of value to, to them and significant, we can also speak of the light of Christ within those values. Mm-hmm. No, thank you for that. That's really helpful. I just wanted to end with one last quote that I think all of us, priests, lay people, those who are engaged in the life of the faith, those who desire real evangelization, maybe those who feel like they're on the outskirts or feel like they're not really like sure or having those doubts, whoever find themselves listening, you know, and having this conversation with us, it's talking about this growth in a Christian kind of vision, a Christian intellectual life that could actually change my life that would help me scrutinize the, ti- the signs of the times to understand the culture, the world, how to proclaim the gospel. Rather, what is needed is the sort of intellectual life that was characteristic of the church in the earlier centuries, a life possessed by some degree by every Christian. It is not simply a primarily a matter of college degrees, but the conversion of the mind to a Christian vision of reality and of readiness to live out the ramifications of that vision. So later on, when he goes to talk about it, it's basically like, in the early church, if you were a Christian, you were all in. <laughs> there wasn't a cultural Christianity at all. Um, you were giving your life to this, and the gospel and a relationship with Jesus Christ and his church, that was, that was everything. Now, it didn't just cloud out the rest of the world, but it actually gave a clear direction, a clear vision, a clear meaning for your life, right? So the more and more, I think, all of us who are within the church or who are struggling on the outskirts of the church, the more we can engage our Catholic vision, our intellectual life, and build up what's lacking, like you said you're trying to do in the seminary, I think that's where we can actually start to have a clear direction going forward. Great. Well, yeah. thanks for those insights, Father. And to all of our listeners who, you know, who are just kind of wrestling with these questions, again, the book is called From Christendom to an Apostolic Age, published by the University of Mary Press up in Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah, thanks, Father Shane, and thanks, everybody. And hopefully, uh, as we continue to have these conversations, we can feel less outcast and more eager to preach the gospel. God bless. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.